come then to, again, a new series, and I'm left with the normal problem that Robert set this wonderful series up and then decides to disappear somewhere else and leave me to interpret the pastor's mind. Uh, I've not asked Gemma if she's any interpretation of the pastor's mind, but there we go. Know <laughs> anybody else for that matter? <laughs> so it's for us to set a framework, but now we're going to look at the book of Acts, and over the next few weeks and months we're going to take it apart, learn from it, encounter various things, and hopefully be empowered and uplifted by the message which we find there. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles then to Acts chapter 1, and if you need a Bible with some at the back, please help yourself, and we'll read the whole of Acts chapter 1. The former account I made of Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For, truly John, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of his, to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, 
and failing and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two. Joseph called, called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots. And the lots fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. And may God add his blessing to those words. This week's study or sermon is titled, Waiting for the Spirit, or Waiting on the Spirit, Waiting to be Empowered. But as we come to this book, The Acts of the Apostles, what exactly do we mean by that? Is this just a historical narrative about a few events which happened 2,000 years ago, whereby the early church was started and then it stopped? Or is it the bringing of a church which continues to this day where new things are being added time by time? John Stott in his commentary says that the book should be correctly titled The Continuing Words and Deeds of Jesus by His Spirit Through the Apostles. And Pearson in his book commentary, which is written in the, early in the late 1800s, this is one book which has no proper close because it waits for new chapters to be added so fast and so far as the people of God shall reinstate the blessed Spirit in His holy seat of control. Now the language might be old-fashioned, but the sentiment is correct. Ultimately, the task set to the apostles at that time has not changed to this day. So we are writing new chapters to add to the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of believers who are following on from this particular event when Jesus ascended and it says right at the end of Acts 28 verse 28 therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it and that is our task as we look at this series that we are here to share the gospel and to give it to all and sundry around the world but we have the benefit of history. We can look back over this time. We can see the rest of the Bible. But just think for the moment about these 12 apostles with the newly appointed Matthias. Could they, if they could see what they actually ushered in, what they actually set out to do was Jesus had instructed where it all was going to lead. Wouldn't they be so encouraged? Wouldn't they be so encouraged to say, wait a minute, just 12 men of God in a little place in, near Jerusalem, going out to spread the gospel around the world. 
And the church has just grown beyond all recognition, numerically and in its faith and in its trust in the Lord Jesus. But the message has not changed. Jesus came that we may have eternal life. The good news. But what about ourselves? What is our part in this history? We're here today looking at something which happened many years ago, but we're here today to look at the book of Acts and to see what we can learn from it and discover that we may know where we are. And this book of Acts is the second book which Luke wrote. Luke, in his gospel, started off by saying to Philippus, who was mentioned at the beginning of our reading here today, that he set out to write an historical account of the early church and the events which happened with Jesus and the apostles. Luke chapter 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theopolis. That's how you pronounce it. You can't get my tongue around that one, but that's fine. That you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. In other words, this is an historical account of the truth of the life of Jesus Christ. And here he continues in Acts chapter 1. The former account, Luke's Gospel, I made of Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So we have a historical narrative of what actually happened both in Jesus' lifetime and in the early church. Excuse me. So it is a story, a historical narrative about the kingdom of God. The way that God brought Jesus in there to re-establish his kingdom and then to lead these apostles through to spreading that joy across all nations. And again, towards the end of Acts, as we come to the summary, that the role was just then that they were out to preach the kingdom of God and teach the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. And that continues to this day. That is what our purpose is. It's all about the coming of God's kingdom in the person of Christ. And then we have some new things in this chapter 1. The promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in verses 4 and 5. A whole new concept which has crept in here. But these apostles, disciples, still hadn't quite grasped all that was going to happen in this place. Because they asked this question in verse 6. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They hadn't got it quite right. It was the wrong time. It wasn't the history wasn't going to end there and then because Jesus had ascended and the kingdom of God was going to be restored just at that moment and that was the end of history. It was the wrong question at the wrong time. And Jesus gives them this corrective answer. 
You will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. A new chapter will begin. And you, it says, as it says in verse 8, when you receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. It is still to come, the completeness of God's kingdom. And then in verses 9 and 10, we have that wonderful event which often gets overlooked in the story of the ascension of Jesus Christ, the final event of Jesus on, on the earth. And they watched, as you'd expect, this marvelous event as Jesus ascended into heaven on a cloud. But then they were just stargazing. And these two men, angels, appeared and said, what are you doing? Standing, gazing up into the sky. They got reprimanded. Don't wait here. You're on with the job. And immediately after that, they returned to Jerusalem and they went into the upper room and they got met together. They were now in charge. They now had to make their own decisions. So they met together and they prayed. If you like, it's the first prayer meeting after Jesus had left them. It's a time of reflection and solace. But it doesn't record exactly what they did, what they said to each other or anything like that. They just waited as instructed. And then Peter, taking the lead for the first time, sets around in verses 15 to 20, dealing with the wrong of Judas and setting the church on the right footing to go forward. There was no inquest about what happened with Judas. It just happened. They accepted it had taken place. And they got on. So we then had the first election in the New Testament. Matthias, Lord's appointment. And his role, as with all the apostles, because he was there all of the time, was to attest that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. And obviously, in order to do so, he had to be there before Jesus died and was resurrected. And that whole election process is reflected in the church today. We have elections still to this day to appoint our leaders. So we come then, having covered the overview of what, what's going to happen now. Was it a beginning or was it an end? Or if you prefer, was it the end and then the beginning? And they've been told to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Well, we'll just wait. We won't do anything. We'll just sit here, pass the time. Just, that's what the Lord said, just wait. And wait. Till we get to chapter 2. There's nothing happening in chapter 1. We'll just wait till we get to chapter 2 because then the Holy Spirit comes and we all know the story and we'll get on to it next week. But yes. But actually in chapter 1, there are surprising events followed by surprising events. Did they wait and just wait and sit and do nothing? No, they were straight into organizing themselves into prayer and into the election. Yes, they had to wait to be empowered, but they still had things to do as they got themselves organized. But at this time, how did they actually feel? 
You know, the Bible doesn't do great on recording the emotions and the principles and the things and what they said to one another about where they were and what was going on. We'd love to have all that detail, be a fly on the wall to find out what they were actually thinking. But you wonder, with all the events which had happened, as to whether they, they sensed a loss, Jesus had finally gone. He had actually ascended to heaven. He was no longer physically present with them. Now, if we've lost somebody in, in close to us in our relationship, we often feel lost and we're not quite sure what to do next and we miss them and things like that. But there's no talk of any of that here. In fact, there's no talk of the fact that they were confused by their situation. They may well have been awestruck by seeing Jesus ascend on the cloud up into heaven. And I'm no doubt they were wondering what was going to happen next. They'd seen some marvelous things during their lifetime and during Jesus' ministry. But they must have been thinking, what next? We've got this promise of this Holy Spirit, but what next? Where is life going to take us? They no doubt would have been slightly nervous, as we all would be if we sat here waiting for something to happen. And they may have been a little bit uncertain Again, not recorded here. But another wondrous event is coming around the corner. But not every day do you see the ascension, for example. Not every day do we have the promise that one day Jesus will be coming back to us, which we hold on to this day. But here it's recorded for the first time that this same Jesus who was taken up into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. There's something wrong. They knew that Jesus was going to return one day. But there is an important fact buried in chapter 1 which we overlook often. We talk about the wonderful resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the ascension, the ascension puts the final underline on that. Because if he wasn't resurrected from the dead, he couldn't ascend into heaven. If he wasn't alive, he couldn't physically go up into heaven and be taken from him as he was then. And it was the final stamp of the Lord's authority on the 40 days which Jesus lived on earth after his resurrection. And there was no doubt in anybody's mind that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He had appeared many times to Thomas who had touched his hands and felt the holes in his hands and everything else. He'd eaten fish. He'd talked with them and walked with them. He'd shared with them all those appearances. He'd done that wonderful breakfast barbecue on the beach with the fish with his apostles. All of these things had happened. And there was no doubt in anybody's mind that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. And as we're recorded here, there was no doubt. Everything was, as he says in verse 3, he presented himself alive after suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days. There was no doubt that Jesus had come back and was now going to go to heaven to be in his rightful place with his father to be set at his right hand. 
in Acts 2, verses 32 and 33. It says, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. God acted mightily in his way he dealt with Jesus Christ. The fact that he sent Jesus Christ as his son. The fact that Jesus taught and ministered and did all those wonderful things and went for the cross for each one of us. Then was resurrected and then ascended. There was no doubt in anybody's mind at that moment in time. And there shouldn't be any doubt to this day because all those infallible proofs of what took place then and has happened since still are there. And as you like, new chapters are being written every day. And they gathered there in that early time together. We were relying on this central promise in chapter 1 in verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It is a key verse. They are going to witness to Jesus Christ, not for themselves or for any personal glory, but they're going to witness to what they had experienced and they've seen and to share the gospel with all. It was the second great commission. You know, we had them at the end of the Gospels, go and teach the world the Gospels. But here we have it reiterated in a different form, that you shall be my witnesses and go out and share the Gospel. And the interesting thing here is, which is often overlooked, is it was without geographical limit. For these apostles who lived their lives in and around Jerusalem, that was their understanding of the world. Yes, they knew where Judea was, they knew where Samaria was, but they did not know where the ends of the earth were. They didn't know that the Americas existed, for example. They didn't know where Australia was. They didn't know about Antarctica or the Arctic or any of those kind of places. But it says here that the word will go to the ends of the earth. For them, the Roman Empire was it. That was the extension of the world. But here, we've just been taught that we're going to spread this word around to the ends of the earth. And also, it wasn't just for those people who were ascended from Abraham. It wasn't just for the Jewish nation. This was also to be for all mankind, for all Gentiles, for those who are yet to be come welcome into the fold of God. So things were changing dramatically. And it wasn't just to be a geographical kingdom. This was going to be the kingdom of God. God was going to restore his kingdom in due time. And God was going to restore it to the way he made it originally. And we've talked about, if you look at the God back right in the way of the Genesis on the days of the creation story, God, in all that he did, got to the end of creating the whole earth and he rested. 
And in Genesis 1.31, as it repeated often through that creation story, then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. And that includes all of us. God made us, and it was very good. And as we go through the whole of the New Testament, and we have the benefit of that which the apostles didn't, we know that there is the promise in Revelation at the end that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, that everything will be done to God's glory and restored because God, through Jesus Christ, is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you shall be my witnesses. That is our challenge today, that we shall be God's witnesses through the power of his Holy Spirit, which we welcome into our hearts, which we yearn for to give us the energy and the power to do so. But there was this time of waiting, time for it to happen, which we know it does on the day of Pentecost, which Robert will cover next week. But here we have, after this great announcement of Jesus going ascending to heaven and the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Where were they? Verses 12 to 26, the first church meetings. What a thing to put in place, church meetings. But here we are, three years they had been with Jesus Christ. They relied on him totally to take the lead, to do everything for them, to tell them where to go, to teach them, to follow him. Everything he had set in place. But now, figuratively speaking, they were on their own. They had to make decisions for themselves for the first time. They had to say which way to go and what to do and everything else. But they were trained for the job by Jesus. You can't get a better teacher than that. But they were now his appointed representatives. They were his apostles, appointed for the task ahead. And in that early prayer meeting in the upper room, who was there? Well, it tells us the names of the apostles. It tells us that there was about 120 Christian people there. Not a large congregation, but a congregation. But big enough. But there were some interesting people there as well as the apostles. Of course, they would be there. But in amongst those other 108 or so, who was there? Well, there was Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, was she there because she was the mother of Jesus? Or was she there because she believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? She obviously knew that because she'd been told that when she conceived through the Spirit of God. And she held all those things in her heart that this baby she was carrying was something special because God had anointed it within her. And she'd seen all that this son which she born had done in his lifetime. She'd been there when he had died and she'd been there when he was resurrected and she was there now in this upper room because she believed that he was the son of God and it had come for God's purpose and God's purpose alone. But also there, surprisingly maybe, were Jesus' brothers. These same brothers who earlier on in the Gospels, in Mark and in John, 
are turned against Jesus and had not believed him as the Son of God. But now they were at this meeting because they believed that their brother, if you want to put it in those terms, that this Jesus was indeed the Son of God. He was something special which God had sent. And now they believed as Christians in the power of Jesus Christ. And when you look at this first meeting, you do not get the sense that it was one of sadness and mourning. But it was one of hope and of joy and excitement because of the restoration of their faith. All that Jesus had promised had happened. And now they understood that what he had taught them was coming to a focal point. They believed what they'd been taught. There was no doubt in what they did. And they meet to pray. They return to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet in verse 12, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they entered the room, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, and they met together and continued in prayer and supplication. Jesus, in his ministry to them, right back in Luke 18, tells this parable, which basically the point was that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. What a message for today. Do not lose heart, but continue to pray. And that's exactly what they did when they got to this upper room. They weren't losing heart. They were just going to pray because they knew that there was a promise coming around the corner. And Jesus had never let them down. But they had one thing they had to deal with. One major incident within that early church which they had to sort out. And they dealt with it on the basis that Peter took the lead. One of their number, Judas Iscariot, had given Jesus away. As we all know. It was a sin, it was a wrong which the church had brought upon itself and it needed to be dealt with. Now you can imagine today, if that had happened, that a member of the church had given up its leader into such circumstances and then committed suicide afterwards. Can you imagine the investigation which we would have from the authorities if that happened? But they dealt with it there and then and said, right, okay, it's happened, let's get it over with. We're going to appoint a new man of God to take his place. So they had an election. They chose a man who had been there all the way through from the beginning to the end. So they'd been through all the things which had happened to Jesus. So they witness in power. And note, as we were day now, we need to have an election through the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us in what we do. But of course the Holy Spirit hadn't yet come on to them, so they couldn't have an election in that format. So they had an election in the Old Testament sense. of They met, they discussed and then they cast lots to pick somebody. And it's the last time that lotting or, or lot election by lots is used in the Bible. Because thereafter, the Holy Spirit appoints. And they chose Matthias. And they restored, in so doing, a trusted leadership for the church. And it leads us through to the fact that they were one of, of one accord. As it says in chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were ready for what was going to happen next. There was no rankling or murmurs, nobody feeling left out, nobody thinking they weren't important enough. 
They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come to energize their ministry so that they could get started on the working hand. It became a church with vision. And the Holy Spirit was there to make them effective witnesses. They were able to build on their faith in the simple historical facts that Jesus is the Messiah, that the acceptable year of the Lord had come, that God's kingdom was going to be restored through Jesus Christ, and that he'd been crucified, he'd risen, and had now ascended into heaven. And these words come from Luke's Gospel again, Luke chapter 24, verses 46 to 48. Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, And thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are the witnesses of these things. The responsibility was now placed on these 12 apostles and this small number of believers to take the church forward. And that responsibility is still placed on us to this day. The Christians of the day have still got to do that task to take the gospel forward. And as we unpack Acts, as we look at all the themes which are going to come out here, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the power he brings, some of the wonderful preaching in the chapters of Acts, some of the outreach work which is undertaken, some of the healings and the expansion of the church where thousands were added on certain days. All these things we will pick up as we're encouraged by that early church and the movement of the Holy Spirit. But they were intent on sharing the gospel and the good news which comes with it and the completeness of the kingdom of God. So our challenge today is to ask this question. Where is your focus? Beyond what you're having for dinner, that is. But where is your focus today? Because it wasn't a case of then, but it's a case of now. God's kingdom is still to be restored in full. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit and with faith in Jesus Christ. We're all going to be history makers. We're all setting up in our own place, in this congregation, in Allness Baptist Church. We are history makers. Because what we do today and tomorrow and next week and into the future will make a difference to the lives of the people around us through Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit. So to go forward, we can go back because we've just completed this series on Vision 2020. And this follows on perfectly. What is God saying to us as a fellowship? To set our focus on his mission. And we will see where he guides us in our future through the power of his Holy Spirit. And that is the message of today. That we will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to undertake his vision and his purposes. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you that you are indeed in control. And Lord, we just look at this early example of the early church as they came together after Jesus' ascension with the promises of being empowered by his Holy Spirit. And as we reflect on that prayer meeting in the upper room, as these people gathered together to set forth the church in motion, We just pray, Lord, that you will empower us likewise. 
that you will draw us together in the sole purpose of bringing the good news to others, in bringing your kingdom to its fruition, and trusting in you, Lord, through Jesus and in the power of your Holy Spirit, to do all the things which you ask us and set before us. And Lord, we thank you that we are of one accord in your purposes, that we manage to go forward without rankling or disagreement. And Lord, we just praise you for that. That is a rich blessing in the church, that we are at peace and in love with one another. And Lord, we just pray that you challenge each and every one of us to have the vision and to indeed to be history makers, not for ourselves, but for your sake and for the sake of your church and for the sake of those who have yet to come to know the wonders of belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. This we ask in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.